Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Andy Roxburgh moved on, Craig Brown came in. Was there a big change in the way that the Scotland team was coached and managed or was it a fairly smooth transition? Uh, it was a smooth one for, for us. It had gone through the 18s, 21s because we'd already worked with Craig and we understood in, in the philosophy of what he wanted. It, it was possibly easier because he liked what we did at 21 level. And the way that we worked, and I think that was a philosophy he wanted to take on to the national team. When we had people, Charlie Nicholas and, and things like that, who were top, top footballers from my eyes and the, the talent they had, and you're thinking, these guys never got a game for Scotland, allegedly, because they never worked hard across the front line. So it was when I looked in the players that we got, Morris Johnson, Ali McCoy, all worked hard across the front line, holding the ball up, setting people up, getting in the box and scoring gold. That's what you had to do, and, and that's the way that Craig brought, uh, Craig brought it on. And, and the way that Craig wanted it was to deliver it as a club sort of uh, way. He liked to have that everybody know each other, mingle with each other, um, get on with each other, and, and have it more like a club rather than you turn up and you're in awe of someone that's there. And no, 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 you're part of it, and, you, and everybody was made welcome. And I think that's why we got the success that we got was because that's the way that Craig eventually got that into us. And I think most of us that went to the World Cup in 98 we were way in our 30s, had played together for, what, seven or eight years earlier. You must have worried for your place at Euro 96 because of your serious leg injury, or maybe even plural. It was pretty bad. I think that in the end, it turned out your career probably actually was in jeopardy. Um, so it must have been an unbelievable feeling to be included in the squad for Euro 96. I was shocked, I uh, must be honest with you. I, I should never have been in that squad. Uh, I came back for a broken leg. Um, people say I broke it twice. It didn't actually break the second time. It was more a hairline fracture. It was. It actually healed, made it heal better for me, in my eyes. Made it stronger and better. Um, but when it went to getting back in, I dropped my hamstring as well. So now is the chance of thinking, I've got to get back, I've got to get fit. And I think Euro 96 was going to be a little bit too early for me. But I got back into the squads. I was playing good football. I probably was 90% ready for international football. But that 10%, it was just not there. I was doing it in the league games, I was seeing it and I think it was noticeable in the Holland game that the speed that the game was played and the way that we played it. For me, uh, I was playing against a teammate in Richard Bitschka and I know how Richard plays and but I just couldn't get the better of him. Uh, and I knew I just wasn't as sharp as what I could be. And to set out the next two games was inevitable because in my eyes and, in, and to be fair, in, in my body, uh, I shouldn't have been at 96. Uh, I should have been watching it as a fan. 
but getting there, what it did psychological, psychologically for me was, it basically made me think I can get back to this level with what I've gone through would be a magnificent achievement. And it wasn't till later that when the surgeon actually spoke to me after a 98 World Cup and said it was the proudest moment ever because I should never have played football again really with the spiral fracture that I had. So to go and do what I did um, and get those opportunities, I look back and I think, wow, uh, how hard I worked to do that. I, sometimes you've got to pat yourself in the back with it. And the friends I had around about me that, that dragged me through it to some really, really dark times. You know, when, as I said, you, you can even touch on it. Um, we went, I broke my leg. And for me, I had a great partnership with Alan Shearer. We were going to win the league in the next season. Unfortunately, I broke my leg. Uh, we go out and spend £5 million on Chris Sutton. And right away, I thought, well, he's going to be here for five years. I'm not going to be in the team. So that was another carrot that came to me. And then obviously we speaking to the surgeon, gave me all these sort of nice little talks. Um, it was basically testing my character and how strong I could be. And I just think to myself, I must have been super mentally strong to go through what I'd done and get the challenges, but get back to playing at the top, top level of football like I did was, was something I'd never ever thought I would have done. What do you credit your call-up to then? Was there much dialogue with Craig Brown in the run-up to the squad selection or the tournament? No, not really. No, no. you obviously go on, you're playing in the friendlies, you're turning up. But Craig never pulled me aside, never phoned me, never said, look, we're going to include you in the squad or anything. You know, it was, it was all a big surprise when the squad was announced. Now my name was in the squad. I thought, oh, wow, this is it. I'm, I'm in the squad. The good thing for me, it was in England. And the good thing for me was where we were based was where I lived when I was at Coventry. So all my neighbours and that were coming around to watch Scotland training and coming around to have a chat with me and I couldn't believe it. So it was it was it was a refresher for me to be in that part of the country in the Midlands and you know and, and seeing your friends coming around and actually not supporting Scotland but actually coming and supporting you. So it gave you that belief that, that you could do it again and, and that I think what gave me that extra bit of strength as well. Give us, try and give us a sense of the occasion then as you're lining up against Holland. They've got people like De Boer and Bergkamp and David, Seedorf. Is it hard to soak it in and take it in at that time? No, I'm not worried about them. We were not worried about Holland. We knew, we know the players. Hopefully the Holland players know us uh, because at that stage there is a lot of scouting work gets done. There was a lot of uh, analytical stuff starting to get done at that stage without actually being on a computer. Uh, it was all done through scouts' uh, notes and writing notes down. And Craig Brown was one of the uh, very, very thorough with all the work that they'd done. Alex Mullen, things like that. And, and the work that they put in with the scouts and watching teams, we got every information. But we know these guys. We played against three or four of them in, in the English uh, Premier League. So we kind of know what levels we're up against, you know. And so we've just got to concentrate and try and do what we can do and, and stamp our authority in the game and, and try and get that result. And to go out there and line up with them, yes, you think, wow, and you go out in the colours of the stadium and, I mean, the orange that, that, that Holland bring with them and the support, the Tartan Army on one side, and you just think the noise was just phenomenal at, at, at Aston Villa, at, at Villa Park. And you just think, this is unbelievable, you know, and what's it going to be like at Wembley? So you're thinking, this is it. And as soon as the manager names the team and you're in the starting lineup, you're thinking, wow. And to go out and to go out with that national anthem and, and, and be there, as I said, you're singing that national anthem to get rid of the butterflies in your stomach. And once that national anthem's finished, your head is on to set pieces, your head's on to everything else. Uh, what you've got to do offensively and defensively for the team. And it didn't matter who you were playing against. Uh, they just become an orange shirt. It didn't matter. And you had to go out and try and get the better of the guy you were playing against. The England game at Wembley, you're saying you didn't feature in it because you knew you weren't at the top of your game from the sidelines anyway. And I suppose the tournament as a whole, is that a bit of a sliding doors moment for Scotland, given when 
Gary McAllister missed the penalty at 1-0 and then Gaza goes and scores the goal. And then against Switzerland in the final game, Scotland are winning and things are going our way before Clivert scores for Holland. The, the stars just didn't quite align for us in '96. Yeah, was, we always say you've got to try hard for your own luck anyway. You know, we gave a good shot against Holland. Uh, we just unlucky we didn't get a goal and, and get the victory against them. You know, uh, when it came to Switzerland and, and Koisi to get out worldy, uh, you think, this, is, this could be it. This could be the time we go through. We knew we were good enough to get through as well. And I know, I know the teams that you're playing against, them, but this, this was an opportunity. England could do us a favour. And we got the shout that England went 4-0 up and the crowd and, and Craig then had made the decision to go a little bit defensive. So we ended up sitting back and trying to play, not play out a 1-0 one, but play that 1-0. And next thing we know, uh, we're getting the shout, get forward, get forward, because Holland have scored. We need to score another goal now. And I think the energy got sapped at the guys because 1-0, there was still a lot of pressure. Switzerland had a great side. And... We just couldn't get the second goal to kill it off and, and give us something. Uh, and just unfortunately, at the end of the day, you go and you just think, not even England can do us a favour. You know what I mean? And I'm sure they deliberately let Clivert score anyway. So <laughs> I might let them off for it. <laughs> was, how, how was it on the side of the park? Because it must be draining and stressful for the guys on the park, getting the information about well, England are winning, Holland have now scored, come on, go and get the second What's it like for those of you on the bench who aren't involved on the park but are still going through the same emotion? You know, jack in the boxes. You don't know if you're on, you don't know if you're off. You're just bouncing in your seat. You know, and normally every 15 minutes we had three or four subs would go out for a warm-up and, and that's what was happening. You get three out, you get some information, you try to shout information on. Next day we'd go out, they get more information, share information on. And, and it was just like that all the time. It was passing batons, and, and as you said, and you know, I mean, you're getting it. And then, as I said, when you're 1 0 up in England, they're 4 0 up, and you're thinking, this is it, we're through, we're through, we can't believe this, this we're going through, we're going through. And all of a sudden, like, uh, so, oh, oh, no, Holland have scored, England, they, they, have, let, they have let Holland score, they deliberately, oh, and you're thinking, oh, no. So, and, I, and I just remember Craig just jumping and, and shouting at the guys, look, we need to get forward again. Just throw everything forward. We've got to go and score. We've got to get the second goal now. We need it. And uh, we just couldn't do it. We just couldn't. I said, well, never had that extra ounce of energy. Not even the subs going on make the difference because Switzerland were a very good side and were still putting pressure. So it made it even more difficult for the manager to make those sort of decisions. Is that one of the most deflated you've felt at the end of a Scotland game? One of the times, yeah. Because we were so close. I mean, you are so close. We're actually over the wire. It's like you're there, you're over the wire, as you think, but then you're waiting on uh, a photo finish and it comes back and you get beaten by a nose. That's what it felt like. It was horrible you're, to be so close and come back. You know, and that's a disappointing thing because that bunch of guys, if we'd have got over the line and gone into the group stages, you know, that's... Not even the Gleeshies, not even the Bremners, not even Joe Jordans, the Sunnises. These Dennis Laws, none of the guys got to that. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to surpass these guys who everybody said they're world class. These were top guys that we were trying to, we were trying to get past them because they were quality players. And we wanted to show them that we could do it. And unfortunately, we didn't do it. We were on the same par as them. 1998, or the qualifying uh, campaign for 1998, was your most prolific spell in a Scotland jersey. What changed? <laughs> uh, what changed? Roy Hodgson came to Blackburn, and me and Chris Sutton were up front, and we were banging goals in for fun. Shearer had gone to Newcastle, and me and Chris Sutton, I'd got my fitness levels back to where I'd been uh, before I broke my leg. I'd become stronger. Uh, and bigger and basically as I said me and Chris Sutton were scoring goals unbelievable partnership uh, everything I was touching was turning to gold but I was getting called up to Scotland and I was on the bench I wasn't playing I wasn't starting other guys were getting opportunities 
Duncan Shearers, John McGinley's. They were all getting opportunities. Coy Stay was still there, and you know, it's absolute legend. Just want to play alongside him, and you're just thinking, waiting on that opportunity, it'll come, it'll come, and I've just got to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, when you get the first goal, um, I thought I've got a goal. That was it. I wasn't then thinking I'm going to go on a run and get six in a row. I wasn't going to think that and get six in the campaign. Uh, I just thought. Um, well, I've got my first one now, I've got to carry on and, and hopefully help Scotland get results. And Fortunately for me, uh, I was the lucky one out of it all because I think sometimes you look at it and I say, look, all the hard work that I'd done from 95, from the broken leg, all came back and basically, as a classic, in a brown paper bag and scored goals and that was it. I never looked back. Um, it was brilliant for me. When Sweden and Austria were drawn in the group, did you did you feel it was particularly gettable? Of course, they're two good teams, but they're not the powerhouses that you hope to avoid. By the way, they were the powerhouses in the days. Uh, maybe the names weren't, but the players, I mean, they people playing for Milan, they playing AC Milan at the Milan, they guys playing around the world at the time. Sweden did. Uh, Austria had top players playing in the Bundesliga all over the place. Fortunately for us, we had people like John Collins playing in, in uh, France. We had Paul Lampard, Paul Lambert, sorry, uh, playing in Germany and getting insight to some of these guys that play for Austria. So that was the insight that helped us um, in the Austria game, uh, especially for me, because of the way that the Austria, I mean, we played against Austria and Austria was different to playing at Hamden. We knew that uh, Feisinger was going to be five yards behind the two centre-halves. So it was up to whoever played up front to, to kind of try and get on top of him. And, and when all these games go, Sweden game, there was an opportunity I had in the box with uh, Patrick Anderson, who was at Blackburn Rovers with me. And Patrick gave me a little nudge, but stupidly I thought I could beat him and get past him and score a goal. But I kind of went off balance a little bit and didn't go down. Possibly would have been a penalty kick and I didn't go down. It was probably... Today's game, I would have gone down and got a penalty and, and maybe something would have happened in that game. It might have changed the game for us a little bit more. But, you know, it, it was just the way it happens. And I didn't do it. I paid the price. We didn't get a penalty or nothing anyway. And you go and the campaign's stretching out and you're thinking, wow, you scored another goal. Here we go again. What are we going to do now? Um, again, you, you're hoping they can keep the club for them, which I was. Again, I was still scoring. Now it was up to the manager. Was I going to be the first choice striker? Because um, we were just waiting on an agent, Ali McCoyst, and, and how he was going to react to, to certain ways as well. With John McGinley still firing, with Duncan Shearer still firing. So with guys that were always going to be there, with even Dan Jackson, who was doing really well at coming up front. And then you couldn't forget Gordon Jury, who's a powerhouse and a great help for me as well. So we guys all chopping at the door. So for me, from going from probably fifth choice at the start of the campaign to, to first choice during the campaign was a magnificent leap for me. The uh, the group was very tense, wasn't it? The, it went right down to the one of the final games. It was to and fro the whole way. Oh, it was. But we knew Austria were a great side. We knew Sweden was a good side. We knew they were always going to take points off everything. But it wasn't so much that. It was... It was other countries and finishing second and third or the best finishers and things like that that you're looking around when you're coming to the latter games and, and waiting for it. And I mean, even at the Latvia game, would you go out and you win, but you're still having to wait for final results coming through to make sure that you're qualified. Um, that was most nervous that you'll probably ever be, um, apart from the other night for the lads. But <laughs> from you know, an hour day, it was it was it was nervous. Um, but Austria at Celtic Park was nervous enough um, but I think we got them on the right stadium uh, we got them at the right time and we got them when we had about six or seven boys were playing at top of the forum and uh, it all clicked for us and as I said we grafted hard and, and we managed to catch them on a couple of occasions and get the goals and we knew that if you scored against Austria when they're away from home uh, they find it difficult to, to go forward and score but a guy called Tony Polster up front, who was top class, playing the Bundesliga for many years, can score goals for fun. And 
we always knew there was an opportunity there. He might do something, but we knew with the campaign, we were defensively solid. We were solid at set pieces. And if we could get a goal, we, I would probably say seven and a half times out of ten, we would back ourselves to go on and win the game. Was the second goal of yours against Austria rank up there as the best? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just... I ran the way I ran because the camera never got my television. <laughs> no, it was. You know, the thing was at that time, I mean, myself and Darren Jackson, we'd done a, an awful lot of running and uh, the two of us in the midfield were struggling to keep up with us at times because we were chasing an extra 10 yards to get on top of the sweeper at times. And, you know, we, we ran that extra 10 miles, shall I say, to, to get there. Um, when that opportunity arose, I was absolutely hammering Paul Lambert. I couldn't believe the pass he was trying to pick out, and he never seen me. And through fortune, whichever way you want to look at it, the ball came spinning to me. Who you see was, if you if you watch that video, I mean, it goes through my head. I'm standing in a position that I know I'm not offside, but when it came to me, I felt like I was in quicksand, and I've chested it down. And I think normally I would have just probably tried to control it and shoot. But as the ball dropped, I thought, I'm going to hit this from the defender with the outside of my boot. And I'm aiming for that far corner. And it all went to plan. And I just think, I can't believe that went in. And I must admit, I watched it back in the telly about 30 times. And we, Brian Hendry, our video guy, uh, was boasting. And he went, I've got the best angle you'll ever get of it. And he has, because he's got it from behind the goal at the post. And how wide the shot goes was unbelievable. From normal TV shots, it looks a great goal anyway. But when you see it from uh, behind his angle, it shows how wide it was actually started off and how much it came in to go in the back of the net. And when he gave me that video shot at the, the team meeting the next day, I just... It was always tears in my eyes to be that way, but I had to be brave because all the boys were there. But they just thought, wow, that's the best goal I've ever scored. There's just everything aesthetically just comes together for that. The dip on the ball and then the fact that it goes in off the post just adds that wee bit extra. Oh, it does. It gives it a bit of excitement, you know. And yeah. when you just hear it hit the metal, ting, you just know the keeper's not even getting near it. Uh, but it was just, it was phenomenal, you know. And, I've scored lots of lots and lots of goals from distance, from angles, chips and everything like that, an abundance of it. So I could do those things. And, you know, people look at you, oh, you're a slight guy and you're never going to be able to kick the ball very far. But sometimes precision and technique is better than power. And that's what happened on that night. I didn't blast the ball. I just technique it. I just hit it with the outside of my foot. I didn't give it extra power. I just hit it. And... It was one of those that when you actually kick the ball, you don't actually feel that you've kicked it. And it's weird because you just watch it. And then I just remember I just ran to the corner flag. And unfortunately, when I watched it back in highlights, the camera went straight into the crowd because they couldn't see me. So I was gutted. Couldn't see my celebration. <laughs> I, uh, I wonder if it, the, the quality of that goal it ranks right up there for you. You just mentioned two minutes ago about the nerves before or during the Latvia game, was the, rel the relief when you opened the scoring that night something to savour? Yeah, and you said it, relief. It was. It, if you're ever talking about uh, a karma coming across the team, it was that moment. Uh, we worked hard. We grafted. And we knew it was going to be difficult against Latvia. Uh, we knew they were going to come and sit and make it very difficult. We knew we had to go and try and break them down. And it didn't really suit the way we played because we were very, very counter-attacking. But when we, John Collins, pulled that left, juke it out and just smashed it again, I followed it in. Uh, I'd done it against um, Italy, but this time it went higher and I thought, I'm going to have to head it. And I just thought, I didn't realise I could jump as high as I could jump just to head it because I didn't want to wait in it coming down. So when I went, and got the head and got the power in it and got the technique right. From that moment, that ball hit in the back of the net. We knew there was only a few minutes to half, what, four or five minutes to half time, whatever it was. 
the team talk's going to change because they're going to come out a different team in the second half because they have to come out Latvia. But it's going to make a massive release. And the half-time team talk was a lot easier and the players were more relaxed. And then the second half, we went out and we played football. And you see it, you know, you see the, the relaxation in the guys. You know, I mean, even the chip, the first half, I wouldn't even attempted to chip the goalkeeper from that angle with my left foot. But we were oozing that little bit of confidence. We were confident in them not scoring against us because we knew the defence was brilliant. We knew our midfielders were defending and we blocked that central area. So it was up to us to create things going forward. So when I chipped the keeper, I just wished it was two centimetres under that crossbar. But to have big Gordon Jury on the end of it, putting the ball in the net, I thought the first part of karma was nice. But the second one and getting that second goal was even better. I mean, you could have just started the party there and then. It was unbelievable because we believed then that we were through. But we knew we still had to wait on a result coming through later on. There was some home record we had in that campaign. Five wins out of five. Of course, the other ones being 1-0 against Sweden. That was McGinley that scored in that game. And then we thumped Belarus 4-1 um, as well. Yeah. No, we said, we, we, the way Craig could it sort it out, you know, he, he went, we've got three top quality centre-halves. We've got three top quality centre-midfielders. We've got top quality centre-forwards. We need to utilise that area. That's our strong point. We've got two top keepers. We've got Andy Gorham, Jim Layton. You know, and then you've got other keepers around that, that squad. And you're looking at it going, wow, that whole backbone of that team was solid. You know what I mean? And we were looking for wing-backs. But the way that, I mean, for me, we'd ready made ones. Jackie McNamara, a young lad at Celtic. We'd him, uh, we'd Tosh McKinley. We could, Tommy Boyd, they could have played the wing-back. And then with Christian Daly went wing back, with Craig Burley go wing back, and you're thinking, I mean, and Craig's playing centre mid for Celtic and scoring goals, and you're thinking maybe he's in the wrong position here. But when you've got Collins, McAllister, and Lambert, was there a place for Burley in there? How's it going to work out? So you're kind of thinking, everybody's thinking for themselves, what is their best team? How are we going to do it? Because uh, we had Duncan Shearer, we had uh, John McGinley as he said scoring goals. Gordon Jury, myself, Dan Jackson. So it was rotational of who was going to do it and you had to do it because if you didn't, you had other guys that were going to take your position. So the threat of doing that, but the camaraderie of you know that if a guy's going to take your place, he has to be better than what you're doing. So it was like that. And and that was opportunities. And to grab it for me was the reason I grabbed it was because I had a rich vein of former scoring goals. And that's what got me in that team. We're drawn against Brazil, Norway and Morocco for the World Cup. You said that you dreamt of playing against Brazil at the World Cup when you were a wee boy. Can you take us back to that moment when you realise a dream is going to become reality? It became reality when we actually walked out with Brazil uh, side by side. But, you know, as I said, the story earlier, when I was in the back garden and used to duck under the, the washing line and avoid the, the pole it used to hold the washing line up and things and you get you beat England in the semi-final of the World Cup and you play Brazil in the final and, and that was it and you're playing against Pele you're playing against these guys you know Rivellino and you were that and you were part of Scotland and you're scoring the goals and you beat Brazil in the World Cup final as a young dream kid and I remember the December and it's the first time I've ever watched a World Cup draw and I always see the end of the World Cup drawing who you've got in the games and things, but it was the first time I actually sat down and we were interested. And, and then I thought, when you got when we drew the three teams, and I'm thinking Brazil, and all of a sudden, then you realise you've got Brazil in the first game of the World Cup. And I thought, well, two of the most watched games are the World Cup final and the first game of the World Cup. So realistically, you played in Scotland's World Cup final because we're playing Brazil, who were the world champions in the first game. So that was our World Cup final, was playing against them in my eyes. I was a little kid having a dream of actually getting there. We didn't beat England in the semi-final, but we got and played in the finals. Unfortunately, an S at the end of it. And Brazil <laughs> happened to be that first game. And that was reality and flashbacks that I had in my head, thinking, wow, this, is, this actually came true. My dream as a child 
of representing my country, of playing for Scotland against Brazil is actually happening. And it did, it happened. And for me, I wanted to make the most of it. And I knew the job we had to do, but I knew they had world-class players in that team. And I believed, and we all believed, we could have got a result against them. And we tried our best, and a little bit of luck went against us. What do you remember when you look back on that game? Who was it you were up against in particular? And do you feel that you performed well? Yeah, I thought me and Gordon Jury done really well. You know, our job was to to play off the two centre-forwards uh, and play in between Cafu and, and Carlos and try and make the runs in behind them. So you were one-on-one with Aldair or uh, Junior Baiano. So realistically, that was our jobs and to, to track back in a wider area. Uh, wasn't so much to be in the box to score goals, it was kind of strange but for your strikers, but that's the way that we had to do the job. And I know people were like, oh, but you didn't get in the box, you didn't do this. That wasn't our job in that day. Our job was to stop Brazil and try and catch them on the break. We had the opportunities as well. Uh, we got the penalties and, and you just see these opportunities. But our main job was, the first and foremost defensively for the team, was to actually split their back four. And then offensively was to play in those channeled areas and try and get in the box. But when you do that, as we found that when we got in the box, I was crossing the jukebox and jukebox was crossing to me. Because the midfield were finding it difficult to, to get up that extra 15, 20 yards. So it was always a battle for us as the strikers to go score goals with the individualism. But we got opportunities, didn't quite get them, but uh, we got the penalty and that, that was the main thing. When John Collins equalises towards the end of the first half and then Scotland are holding on and it looks like the point is coming, did you, did you think that was actually going to, to be seen through? Well, when when, we, when they went ahead, I mean, nobody had ever really, I don't think anybody in the campaign had scored a free kick against us. Uh, we'd done so well in all our set pieces. To lose that one so early doors was a massive shock to us. We were all looking about thinking, this hasn't happened. We don't do this. We don't concede set pieces. And I think we were kind of, right, we need to roll our sleeves up. This is weird. It just, it was a weird happening to us. Uh, but when, I mean, when I, get the penalty for Wee John and, and Wee John was peacocking with the ball under his arm before he takes it. It was brilliant, you know, and I just thought, this is confidence, come on, Wee Man, put it away, and he did. That gave us a lifeline of, we don't fear Brazil. We've scored against Brazil now. Now we've got an opportunity. There, it's 11 versus 11. Let's go and try and take that chance. And we did. I think Gordon Jury had a chance. I've, I've had a shot. I mean, we've had opportunities to, to do something and we never quite got a hold of what we'd like to have done and, and, and caused half our problems. And we just thought, this, this is it. We could see this game out as a draw. What a result that is for us. Just to draw against Brazil. Not the game of the World Cup. We haven't had a, a, a proper warm-up because we were in a, a room that was next to the dressing room warming up. But everything was going against it. Uh, and we were hoping, apart from the result. Uh, and then, Cafu makes up run that he always seems to make and Jim Leighton comes out does brilliant unfortunately ricocheted off Tommy Boyd and for me I knew Colin Henry was going to clear it off a line because he does it all the time and I just from the distance looking at it I'm going he's going to clear it come on big man you're going to do it you're going to smash that post like you normally do and you're going to clear it off a line and just when you've seen them all celebrating I just thought oh you're kidding me on how unlucky have we been but we can't let it beat us. We've got to go and try and pick ourselves up again. But we just couldn't do it, uh, unfortunately. But I think what we did for Norway especially, we gave them the platform of a tactic of what they could do to hurt Brazil. And they did. And they brought Brazil 4-1. Was that uh, one of the, the most bitter pills to swallow then? I asked if the 96 was tough when... Uh, Holland got that goal against England and you realised, you know, we're not going through. Was this worse? It was a double whammy, this one. Uh, I think we underestimated Morocco and how good they were. When we watched back the videos, for me, they were the best side in in our group, the best team, uh, footballing team. And I think we underestimated them. They overran our midfield, uh, didn't give our opportunities and we just, we didn't know what it is. And I think that was a problem then Craigie Burley got sent off and with a massive mountain to climb. But 
you know, I think that side of it, when you're 3-0 down to Morocco, when you're thinking, no, we should beat this lot. They're not as good as what they're making out. But we realised that Morocco could go through. We could have gone through or Norway going through. But we were so confident that we were going to beat Morocco. We were so confident that Brazil were going to beat Norway. And we can go through. And I think it kind of backfired on us a massive, massive lot. And we never created the opportunities we'd like to have created uh, against Morocco or we did create against uh, Norway or uh, Brazil. And for me, it, it backfired massively. And Morocco just showed us how good they actually were. So given you're saying that Morocco were the best footballing team at that point and, well, Brazil are Brazil, was the really disappointing result drawing with Norway? Yeah, that was the one that we threw away at. Uh, when we got the result against Brazil, we believed we could beat Norway, we could beat Morocco. Um, drawing with Norway, we thought, well, we've got a, another chance, a second chance. That's the way we looked at it, because no way Norway are going to get a result against Brazil. And unfortunately, as I said, it, it, all the tables turned right round on us and smashed us right in the face. Um, that was a disappointing thing because we gave it our best shot and our best shot was not good enough. And that was everybody. You know, I mean, we were a team. We weren't about individuals. I mean, if, if we had two or three players that, that weren't in the game, we were all out of the game. It was as simple as that because we played as a team and that's how we got there. It wasn't about just my goals. It was about guys creating chances for me to get the goals and that's what we were about and we played together and it's the Morocco game I just don't think they let us play together and they broke our rhythm and they broke our hearts If you're saying though Morocco were, were the best footballing team in that group and then as I say Brazil are capable of pretty much whatever they want at that stage on a football pitch is it fair to say that we met expectation then by going out at the group stage or were Scotland fully uh, believing and expecting that they would be in the top two? No, I think quietly down, we believed that we could finish in the top two. I think personally, I believed me that we were a better team than Norway and we could beat Norway and not really knowing Morocco because they were a, an unknown identity to us. Uh, I believed we weren't the biggest African-Asian uh, side that they were around at that time, but they could cause surprises, and they did. But I believed that we could have beat them as well. And as I said, we prepared for it. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people didn't know that I went through and I played the whole World Cup with a double hernia. And I hadn't trained for six months with Blackburn Rovers. I just played games. But with Scotland, Craig made me train. And that was the downside. I had to train because the media were watching us. And I was like rigor mortis. So when I was going into games, it was for me, it was taking me 15 minutes to warm up and try and get through the pain barrier before I could get going. And that, that was the hardest thing. But not a lot of people knew that. So when I came back from the World Cup, I was straight into a hospital and got a double hernia. And that was the downside because I knew that we got through that campaign you'd playing uh, with a double hernia, but nobody knew it because we had to keep it under hush. And and that's what we did. But it was, it was I was getting to threadbare when we got to the World Cup. And when we got knocked out, it was disappointing. We had three days, four days in the south of France uh, before I had to go back and drive back all the way uh, straight to London and into the hospital. But I was going to get back for pre-season. That's what I had to do. And, it was just disappointing because I had planned to be out for another, at least another week. Uh, but it never happened that way. So is there no compromise between you and the management team then to make sure you're performing or are fit to perform at your best? Well, obviously the, there was because I just had to get through it. I just had to walk about. Uh, but generally with Blackburn, I'd done nothing. Uh, I just went and stretched the, the physio, got physio, everything like that and then played at the weekend uh, with a national team because the media are there on the doorstep every single day watching you. You've got to be there. Uh, so I had to take part all the time and be taking part made it stiffer the next day. And then the next day you get up and you're doing the same again, made it stiffer again. So by the time you get into the seventh day or whatever day, ninth day or whatever it was over there, and you come into the Morocco game, like I was seasoned up. 
and it was getting through the pain barrier. Um, that's not an excuse because you've got to give it your best shot and to get the adrenaline, which is going through your body anyway, is what got me through it. Um, I knew I had it for six months. Uh, I knew I was scoring goals for Scotland for fun. I was scoring goals for Blackburn for fun. But I didn't want to train. And that was a downside. And it's hard. And people will tell you when you've got these injuries at club level, you're all right because the management manage you a little bit. With a national team, you've got, you've got no... You get help from the physios because you're getting the treatment when you go back right away and you're looking after you and how you're doing it. But you have to go and show face on the training pitch because the media then clock on. And Craig was one of those guys that if anything got out that you weren't there with an injury, it seemed to get out and then everybody knows you're injured, then people look at you with an injury. And the good thing was nobody knew I had an injury. It's quite big on perception then. Well, very big. Very big. You had your socks up, chucked tucked in. Massive. Okay. Well, let's move on to the playoff against England then because when that draw is made, especially from a Scots point of view, that is a, a mouth-watering prospect to have the opportunity to dump them out. Didn't quite pan out that way, but God, we came close. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, uh, when you're at Hamden and you've done all your homework uh, or you think you've done all your homework and all of a sudden from a set piece, as I said, we were good at set pieces defensively and offensively. And Paul scores, scores two headers from corners, free kick. And you think, hmm, how has that happened? Because this isn't us. This is not Scotland. And you kind of weird. And you just scratch your head. And we obviously hadn't covered everything. They'd done something different. I don't know what they did. And I think what they'd done was they sent Paul Scholes back. So Paul Scholes was basically an extra man in defence. But when they went to take the corner, he sneaked up and they all made space for him running and he scored goals. And that's what he was about. He's a clever footballer. 2-0 at Hamden, you know, we still believed that we could we could beat England. We still believed that. And we believed we could go to Wembley and, and, and beat them. And unfortunately, I've I've done my duty. I've tracked Michael Owen back and he took a dive. And well, I'll always say it to this day, he took a dive. I got a yellow card, which meant I missed the second playoff at Wembley. And I was absolutely gutted. But we had, we had Billy Dodge, we had uh, Don Hutchison more than capable of handling it down there. And they did, you know, and I just think it was just one of those occasions that we go down, I thought, this is an opportunity, we're going to do it. But I could do it by watching the boys and not doing it. So I felt the pressure with them, but I went to the game along with them so I could be part of it, as Craig always wanted, because it was a club set up. Uh, but I just couldn't get that excitement of going out onto the pitch and, and being at Wembley again and just had to be a fan. And I was, I was just a fan that day and shouting at the lads. I think I shouted everything. I was hoarse at the end, screaming. And and when Don got that goal, I was like, wow, this is it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it this time. And just never, never ever got over that finishing line again. I was chatting to Billy Dawes last week, actually. He told a story that when Kevin Keegan, uh, he opened a soccer school up here uh, at Brayhead, gosh, at least 12, 15 years ago now, and Billy Dodge was invited to the opening of it and they got chatting and, and Billy was saying that Kevin actually said to him that like, if you had got a second uh, in the 90 minutes at Wembley, we wouldn't have managed to keep you out in extra time. We were, we were seriously scared that you were going to go on and, and get that second goal. It's, it's quite hard. That, for my age, I was only uh, seven when that playoff was played. It's quite hard yeah. looking back that that, that situation was so close to unfolding where we had England, you know, running quite scared at Wembley. Oh, we had them on the rack. There was no doubt about it. Was it I'm thinking, I think it was Christian Daly, I think it was, had a header. Somebody had a header. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I think David Seaman pulled off a worldie. And that goes in and it's over because we were, we were on a roll. We were steamrolling by that stage. We were, our engine, steam engine had really heated up and we were going for it. Like, you know, and, you could hear the Tartan Army were, I mean, they were way louder than England fans and we probably you know the 10% of the stadium. And the boys were up for it and, and it was. And it, we just couldn't get it. And we were getting closer and closer and closer. But 
that was it. And we just needed one to go in. And if we'd have got that one to go in, we would have gone on. And there would have been no doubt about it because we had England on their knees. If that had been a boxing match at Wembley, we'd, we'd won it. That was it. And we did. We won the game 1-0, but we went out 2-1 overall. But at the end of the day, you know, England were punch drunk that day. They didn't know what hit them. Um, and unfortunately, as I said, they went through um, and we didn't. The Czech Republic fairly ran away with that group. Scotland were quite consistent throughout. I think second was, was quite comfortable in the end. I suppose massive results on the way to reaching the playoff were beating Bosnia home and away. They, they are just kind of awkward games that these days, and maybe even back then as well, that just cause fear really to run right through the fans, Bosnia away from home. Yeah, because when you've got to remember way back then, there wasn't really any internet to actually watch these guys. So they weren't, uh, no, obviously they split countries and things like that. And you hear about, you know, I mean, is it the best players for Yugoslavia that are all changing places in different countries? But you knew they were a decent setup. You know, they were going to be a good team. Uh, generally, like most European teams, away from home, they weren't as good as what they were at home. So that's the way you're kind of looking at it. You know, so we could go away and, and do anything away from home. We knew we'd get them back to hand and we could beat them. It was not as simple as that, but that was a philosophy that we believed that we could do. And, you know, and when you've got Bosnia and you get the two results, you know, you think, this is it. I mean, Scotland were at that time for me, on a map of we were a good side. But the problem we had was we were all ageing. You scored your last international goal against Croatia, October 2000. Nice wee tap in for you, I think, if, if, uh, if was, yeah. seen. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Um, how did it come to an end for you and Scotland? Was it just simply an age thing? Uh, no, it was a lot of different, difficult things as well. Uh, different beliefs in, in certain aspects of it. Uh, came at my 50th, got 50th cap against San Marino and got subbed that day as well. Um, I wasn't happy uh, because it's meant to be a big day, a captain of your country. But you get hooked. I just scored the goal that was chopped off as well. And you kind of think, why? I mean, okay, it could have been anybody that gets taken off, but it was just one of those things. And I just thought, I can't believe this. but you go out, I'm going to do the best I do. And when it came to the Croatia game, uh, I think it was a stage that Billy Dodge's wife uh, was pregnant at the time, I think, and Dodge had to go home. I think realistically, if if Dodge's wife had been able to hold on for another few days, uh, Dodge would have started, I wouldn't have played. Uh, I wouldn't have been in there, I wouldn't have scored that goal. Uh, and probably would have been the end of my international career there and then. Um, but Craig didn't want me to end it. And so I said, well, carry on. And unfortunately, then that allowed Dodgy to go back and see the birth of his child, and which was brilliant. Um, unfortunately for me, then we Colin Cameron pulled out a great run and a great little cutback. And it was, it was happy days for me. It was, couldn't really miss and pick your spot. And it was nice. It was nice to get that goal and, and get a little bit of grief off my back. The, it's quite quite sad then, I suppose, looking back that it ended on a bit of a, a sour note, I suppose, if, if that's the way that you're just saying towards the end of your career, your 50th cap uh, didn't quite go the way you wanted to go, chalked off, you're substituted. Did, does it rankle with you at all that that's the way your Scotland career winded down? No, no, it doesn't now. You know, uh, I've got a shirt, uh, captain's armband, I've got a gold medal for my 50th cap. It's all there, pride of place, framed up. Um, and the only disappointing thing is it's got disappointing memories with it. You know, it's when you, when you turn that side of it off and think, that's your 50th cap for Scotland. How many people out there in the world, or in Britain, and Scotland even, want that, to do that, what you've done? And, and you just think, I mean, forget about it. Silly sod that just got on with it, just got on with life. You've done 53 caps, you're representing your country, you got nine goals. Unbelievable. Because I know a lot, I know my one of my best mates would have loved to have done what I've done. And he's, I mean, that's why he's my best mate. He's stuck by me, good footballer, and things like that. And that's where it is. He supported me all through the football career as well. So that's where it is. So you just think of these guys that, that 
that possibly if you'd have switched it, I'd have been working in an electronic furrow and he'd have been playing football, I'd have been cheering him on. Um, and that's the way I've got to look at it and that's the way you think of it. And, that, and I've got, I mean, a family who just bring me down to earth anyway and say, why? Just be proud of what you've achieved because at the end of the day, you might never have achieved that. And especially at the latter end of your career because when I broke my leg, I only had 22 caps or something. So to get to 53 after a broken leg or two. Uh, so for me, that it's been phenomenal. So from first cap to 53 caps, every one of them has memories in a certain manner and, and means something to me where it's just coming off the bench and, and making appearance, where it's replacing a Gordon Strachan, where it's playing beside an Ali McCoyst. Every one of them has got a meaning. And, and that's what I take with me. It's, it's just fantastic. Right, well, let's finish off with a couple of quick questions. Try not to take try not to take too long to think about the answer, okay? So right. it'll be strictly to do with your international career, no club teammates, I suppose, okay? So oh. who, <laughs> who, and, and strictly Scotland only, most talented teammate? Gary McAllister. Okay, hardest opponent you've played for, against for Scotland? Franco Baresi. The funniest teammate uh, around the camp? Funny ones, funny ones. Billy McKinley. The teammate you didn't want to upset? <sighs> Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you, you answered this during the, the podcast. Favourite Scotland goal? Oh, it's Austria. Absolutely, I Definitely thought so. Um, your, take, take that goal out of the equation then. Just your, your other favourite moment for Scotland? Probably favourite moment was probably I see the, I've got a couple. The first one would obviously be scoring my first international goal. That's definite. You know, getting that first goal for your country is it's it's brilliant. Uh, but qualifying and going to a World Cup for me to be one of the best players in the world in nineteen ninety eight was phenomenal and to achieve that that's up there at the highest ranking ever. Your biggest Scotland regret? <laughs> Uh, regret, regret, regret getting subbed against Estonia on my 50th cap. I regret that. Probably should have played better. Okay, and now, if, who's Scotland's best player currently? Currently, at the minute, I'm, I'm liking John McGinn. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's a Clyde Bank connection. I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, I watched him at Villa and I watched the way he plays and you know, again, it's, I don't know what it is. It's something about a left-footed player, isn't it? Touched <laughs> on earlier, and and he's very similar. He's a decent player, and and I like I like the way he plays. I like the way he's playing in the Premier League in England, but I like the way when he when he's turned out for Scotland as well. But you know, there's a lot of players in, in the Scottish team that at the minute I like. They're, they're decent lads. A good bunch of boys. They look good, and and long may it continue for them. Brilliant, Kevin. That's been some run through your Scotland career. Thanks so much for spending the time with me. No, you're welcome. It's been it's been good to talk through it again and, and reminisce about old times. Sports Social Podcast Network.